I remember it like it was yesterday, but it was December 31st, 2005, and that morning at about 4.15, my wife said two words I will never forget, we're pregnant. Now by we, I don't know exactly what she meant because I didn't do anything, I just had sympathy eating, that was it, you know, and I hadn't had weight loss surgery yet, so I kind of looked like I was pregnant, but she was the one who was going to carry the baby and give birth and do all that fun stuff, have morning sickness and everything like that. So, uh, but we were pregnant, and uh, you can see right there my little guy's face. That's him like working, looking right at the ultrasound wand, and uh, he was adorable. And we were in love the moment we found out that we were going to have a baby. And uh, there was so much joy in our lives. We were so excited. We couldn't wait to tell everyone, put it on Facebook, send out emails, make phone calls, hey, we're going to have a baby, and everyone was so excited, yay, you're going to have a baby, and, and it was so great, it was so exciting, it was so awesome, and you know, I during those nine months that we waited for the little guy to come, I just, I thought about him all the time, I, I thought about him constantly, what was he going to look like, what was he going to be like, what was his... You know, what was his disposition going to be and what color were his eyes going to be? And I just thought about him all the time, you know, and I, I actually nicknamed him. He had a name before it was Jonathan. He was awesome man. His nickname was awesome man. And, and, and if he ever grows up to be a superhero, that will be his name. He will be awesome man. Because every time I talked about him, it's like, oh, I can't wait to meet awesome man. She's like, you got to start calling him by his name, Jonathan, because he's not going to understand that. You know, that awesome man is, is not his name. But, uh, you know, it, I thought about him and the potential that he had and the promise that he had, the possibility of what it was going to be like to be a dad and for him to be my son and how great it was going to be. And, and, you know, and, and it is. It's great. It's awesome. You know, it, it, he is awesome, man. And, and now it's not perfect. He's not perfect. He's uh, got issues and things, and I've got issues and things, and our issues and things do this a lot, and we combine it, you know, and clean your room, and, you know, and get ready for school, and I don't want to go to school, and we do that whole thing, just like you do that whole thing, so, you know, it's, it's all good. He has this potential, though. He has this, this promise. He's very bright, and he's very intelligent, and he's got a lot of potential and promise. I'm very excited about that, you know, and, and I know the importance of raising him to, to know the right things and to do the right things, the importance of raising him to love Jesus with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's my prayer for him. Nearly every night I pray those exact words that God, that, Jesus, that Jonathan would grow up to love Jesus with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And uh, I tell you what, this, this joy that we have because of him is just constant. It is this constant joy of this little guy. And you know, it's true. Babies bring a lot of joy. Ba babies bring a lot of joy into our lives. You know, you hear you're going to be, a, you're going to have a son, or you're going to have a daughter, you're going to have a, uh, a niece, or a nephew, or a grandchild, and you just get so excited, and there's all this joy around, and then the baby's born, and it's just, it's just awesome, and it's so great, right? Well, today's story, today's Bible story we're going to look at as we continue looking about the joy of Christmas is about the birth of a baby. It's about the birth of a baby. Um, and here's the thing, it's probably not the baby that you're thinking of, because typically this time of year we talk about the baby. This is not about him. Well, I mean, it is, but it's not about the baby Jesus. It is about a relative of Jesus. We have been talking about the joy of Christmas this season. We've been talking about how we can have joy in our lives at Christmas and the joy that Christmas brings. Um, 
we're going to talk about next week, we're going to talk about the joy of the message that the angels brought to the shepherds. Uh, we're going to talk about good news of great joy that will be for all the people. To, uh, on Christmas Eve, we're going to talk about being a joyful gift giver uh, as we talk about the gifts that the Magi brought to Jesus and uh, how they were filled with joy. And then uh, after that, the, the week after that, on the last Sunday of the year, I like to do something every year, and it's, I preach the same message the last Sunday of the year. It's called the Biblical Plan of Salvation. It's all about what we need to do in order to be saved. And so that'll be the last Sunday of the year. Um, today, though, we're talking about the joy of a baby, the joy of a baby. And uh, like I said, it's not about Jesus. It's about John the Baptist and the joy that was surrounded the birth of John the Baptist. And so we're going to turn to Luke chapter 1. And uh, Luke chapter 1 is 80 verses long, 80 verses. So all I'm going to do is just read it and then we'll be done. And you're like, yay. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to read pieces of it and, and portions of it, but we're going, to, we're going to move right through Luke chapter 1. So grab your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 1, and then grab your bulletin and turn to the handy-dandy outline on page 3, and you'll find that in the bulletin, and we'll fill in some blanks in just a moment. This story begins with the story of Zechariah. Zechariah was a priest in Israel. He served the Lord in the temple. He was part of the priestly tribe, and uh, it was his turn, it was his family's turn uh, to do the uh, offer the offerings uh, and offer the sacrifices in the temple, and the lot they cast lots to see who would go in and burn the incense, the offering in the temple, and the lot fell to Zechariah. So Zechariah goes and uh, he goes into the temple to burn this offering of incense. Now uh, Zechariah had a wife; her name was Elizabeth, and Zechariah and Elizabeth, the Bible says, were upright and blameless. They lived upright and blameless lives. So these were good people. They were really, really good people. And they did the right things. You couldn't accuse them of anything. It just wouldn't be true. So they were good people who, do, who did good things. Um, but they had problems. They had two problems specifically. And they were kind of related. The first problem is that Elizabeth was barren. She couldn't have children. And so they had no kids. And in those days, it was so important to have children to pass on your family name, uh, to pass on your heritage. Uh, children were seen as a, a wonderful blessing from the Lord. Uh, and uh, sometimes they would say that, you know, you must have done something wrong. But you couldn't say that about Elizabeth and Zechariah. They were good people. And they did the right things. And so we see that even in our lives, we know that sometimes, you know, we do the right things and yet things don't go our way. And, and it's kind of frustrating and hard to, to understand that. And, and it was, I'm sure it was very hard and, and frustrating for Elizabeth and Zechariah to understand why they, when he, you know, he was a priest and, and they did the right things and they lived upright, blameless lives, and yet still things didn't go their way when it came to having children. She was barren. The second problem that they had was that they were well along in years. In other words, they were too old to have kids now. So they were past childbearing age. So not only could they not have children because she was barren, but they couldn't have children now because they were too old. There were no kids on the horizon at all. But that was about to change. See, Zechariah went into the temple in order to offer the sacrifice to burn the incense. And he goes in to do the burnt offering. And the Bible says that there were people outside and they were getting ready to worship and they were praying so you have all this prayer and worship going on, and Zechariah goes in to offer the, uh, the burnt offering of incense, and uh, sure enough, an angel appears. An angel shows up. And uh, grab your Bible and turn to verses 11 through 17 of Luke chapter 1. 
Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So Zechariah is overjoyed, right? I mean, he just got the greatest news of his entire life. Your wife, who is barren and can't have children, and even though you are old, you know, just as God did for Abraham and Sarah, he's going to do the same thing for you. You're going to have a baby. And Zechariah is like, yes, I've been waiting for this day my whole life. I can't believe we're finally going to have a baby. This is tremendous. He's jumping up and down and, and, you know, hugging the angel and everything. That's not what happened. That's not what happened. An angel appears to Zechariah. This is an angel, okay? I'm convinced that angels are very frightening looking, very scary looking. Because every time an angel appears to somebody in Scripture, the first thing out of their mouths is, do not be afraid. What do these things look like? I mean, seriously, every time, you know, everyone's like, "Ah!" do not be afraid. Okay. And then he tells them, you're going to have a baby. And this is what Zechariah says. Look at verse 18. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. He doubted. This is an angel appears to him in the temple and he doubts the message of the angel. How can I be sure of this? I'm an old guy. My wife, she can't have children. There's no way this is going to happen. And and the angel shuts Zechariah's mouth and he is unable to speak until the time that the baby is born. And he just has to take it on faith that this is what's going to happen. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened Uh, God closed his mouth and he couldn't speak until the baby was born. But this is not about Zechariah. This is about a baby. And the first blank on your outline this morning is a baby born with purpose. A baby born with purpose. You see, God had given this baby a purpose before he was ever born. He was a Nazarite. This was a special vow that Jews took uh, that they gave to their children, that they, had, that they took for their children, uh, that they would be raised up for a special purpose for the Lord. Samson was a Nazarite, but he couldn't keep his vow. John the Baptist, a Nazarite, and he was able to keep his vow before the Lord. He was set apart for a special purpose. He was set apart just for God. And so he took, uh, his parents took this vow for him. And uh, the very name John, do you know what the name John means? It means Yahweh is gracious. Yahweh is gracious. In other words, God is full of grace. And that by God's grace, he showed his favor to Zechariah and Elizabeth and gave them this baby boy who would be named John. God heard their prayers and he graciously answered them. What a wonderful story, huh? Here you have this baby born with a special purpose. He is going to uh, prepare the way of the Lord. What, an, what an, a noble task. What an amazing job. What an amazing purpose to prepare the way for the Messiah to come. 
And he was going to bring great joy to many people. And he was going to lead the hearts of the people back to God in repentance. And sure enough, that's what John did. He went baptizing a baptism of repentance. We'll read about that in just a minute. Uh, in John chapter 1. But the time had come for God to do something absolutely amazing, something incredible, something never heard of before. God was going to do something awesome. He was going to come to earth as a little baby. He was going to send the Messiah. He was going to send the Savior to earth. And that's exactly what he was going to do. He was going to send his son to take away the sins of the world. In John's Gospel, we read about John the Baptist as a man, grown up, and he's preaching in the wilderness, and he's preaching in the desert, and he's preaching a baptism of repentance, calling the hearts of the people back to God, just as the angel said he would, he's calling the hearts of the people back to God. And this is what he says when he sees Jesus. He says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world... This is the one I meant when I said a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Jesus is identified by John the Baptist in John chapter 1 as the Lamb of God. This was his God-given purpose. The purpose that, that God had for John the Baptist's life was to point people to Jesus, to point people to the Messiah. That was his job. That was his purpose, to turn the hearts of people back to God by pointing them to his son. But guess what, folks? That's not just John's purpose. That's our purpose. Our purpose is to point people to Jesus through our lives, through our words, through our actions. Our job is to point people to Jesus. That's your purpose. That's my purpose. To be leading people into a relationship with Jesus. To be leading people to Jesus. And we do that by sharing our testimony. We do that by sharing the difference that Jesus makes in our life. I mean, my hope for you is that Jesus makes a difference in your life. That it's not just something to do on a Sunday morning. Or, or something to do on a Wednesday night when you go to Bible study. Or something to do on a Wednesday morning you go to Bible study. My prayer is that that Jesus makes a difference in your life and that he is making a difference every day in your life, that he is giving you hope when you feel hopeless, that he is giving you joy when you feel down, that he is giving you a sense of purpose and a sense of peace. That's, what I, that's my prayer for you, that, that God would give you this kind of purpose, that you would have a purpose to point people to Jesus. And that's what we're supposed to be doing because people need the Lord. People need to hear about Jesus. They need the love that he gives. They need the joy that he gives. They need the peace that he gives that only he can give, that peace that passes understanding. People need to hear about Jesus. They need to hear about his love. They need to hear about how he died on a cross for our sins. People, people who don't know Jesus don't go to heaven. And we can't let that happen. We can't let that happen. We need to tell people about Jesus. That is our purpose. That is the very purpose of our lives, is to be pointing people to Jesus. The second blank on your outline is a baby filled with the Spirit. A baby filled with the Spirit. The, uh, the angel told Zechariah that the, this baby, baby John, would be filled with the Spirit from birth. From, ver from his very birth, he would be filled with the Spirit. In Luke chapter 115, that's exactly what he told him. And we see that it comes true in verses 39 through 45. Look at verses 39 through 45 when Mary visits Elizabeth. 
At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. Elizabeth's baby jumps for joy in her womb when Mary's voice reaches Elizabeth's ears. The baby jumps for joy. How else could this have happened other than by the power of the Holy Spirit? Elizabeth's relative Mary had been visited by an angel as well. Again, do not be afraid. And the angel shows up to Mary and tells her that she is going to give birth to a special baby as well. She is going to give birth to the Savior, to the Messiah, and his name is going to be Jesus. And so Mary goes off to greet her, her relative Elizabeth. She is in, uh, Elizabeth is in the sixth month of her pregnancy. She's in her sec- the end of her second trimester. And so she goes to visit Elizabeth. And again, as soon as the voice of Mary's, uh, as soon as the sound of Mary's voice reaches Elizabeth's ear, the baby in her womb leaps for joy, jumps for joy. What an amazing! I tell you what, we guys, we 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 don't have that feeling. We don't get that joy of feeling the baby move inside of us. I mean, I, I, we see it because you know, like the baby like moves its heel or something, or puts a fist out for a little fist bump. Hey, Dad, what's up? You know, and uh, we don't get that feeling, but. Here Elizabeth has that feeling of joy as the baby leaps for joy inside of her at the sound of Mary's voice. And how else could this have happened unless the baby had been already been filled with the Holy Spirit? Don't tell me that, that, that it's just a fetus. Don't tell me that it's not a baby. Because we see here that this baby is filled with the Spirit of God's Spirit and it leaps for joy when he hears Mary's voice. How awesome is that? We too can be filled with God's Spirit. But how does that happen? How does that happen? Well, on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people responded to the message that Peter preached. And in Acts 2.38, Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will come and fill you. There are two things that are happening when you're baptized. One, the Father forgives your sins. And two, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you and fills you and changes you. We are saved by God's grace through faith when we believe, repent, confess, and are baptized. We are saved from our sins, and we are filled with the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit comes and fills us. And I know so many Christians who feel weak, and they feel powerless, and they feel hopeless. They feel like they have no purpose in life. And yet God says, I have a purpose for you and I want to fill you with my Holy Spirit and I want to give you power to overcome sin, to overcome temptation, to overcome fear and to overcome doubt. I want to fill you with my Holy Spirit. And that is exactly what God does when we put our faith and trust in Jesus. Many Christians are powerless because they don't tap into the power of the Holy Spirit and how we need the Holy Spirit. We need the Spirit in our lives. Paul said, In Romans 15, 13, he prayed for the Romans and he said, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives us hope when we feel hopeless. The Holy Spirit gives us power to have hope. The Holy Spirit sanctifies us by his power. 
sanctifies us, changes us, transforms us, makes us more like Jesus. That's the power of sanctification. That's what the Holy Spirit does. It makes us more like Christ. And that is the goal. That is what we we talk about making more and better disciples. That's our vision. To make more disciples and better disciples. To make help people who don't know Jesus come to know Jesus. And to help people who do know Jesus to know Him better. That's what we do. And becoming a better disciple means becoming more like Christ. That's what the Holy Spirit does. That's the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. To make us more like Jesus. The Holy Spirit, the Bible says, is a deposit, is a guarantee. When the Holy Spirit has put in our hearts, it's a deposit, guaranteeing us our salvation in heaven forever and ever and ever. In John chapter 16, verses 7 and 8, Jesus told his disciples, Unless I go away, the Counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. That the Holy Spirit tells us when we're doing the wrong thing. And we know. The Holy Spirit comes and says, yeah, you shouldn't be doing that. And we, can have, we have a choice. We can say, well, you're right, I shouldn't do that. And we stop. Or we say, nope, going to do it anyway. And we sin. The Holy Spirit comes and convicts us of our sin. Convicts us of righteousness. Tells us what not to do. Tells us not to do the wrong things. Tells us to do the right things. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin and righteousness. And that is nothing to say of what the Holy Spirit gives us by, by what Galatians 5:22 and 23 says, that when we have the Holy Spirit in our lives, that it manifests itself in, by the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Let me say that one more time just to show you how smart I am. The Holy Spirit gives us love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Nine things, nine characteristics of a life that is filled with the Holy Spirit, that you're becoming more loving and more joyful and more more patient, more kind, more peaceful, more self-controlled, more gentle, more faithful. That's what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. We can be filled with the Holy Spirit when we are baptized and immersed into the waters of, of baptism and we surrender our lives to Jesus. The Holy Spirit comes and dwells inside of us and begins to change us from the inside out and gives us that hope and that love and that joy and that peace. The third blank on your outline, the last blank, is a baby born with promise. Look at verses 57 through 66. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he is to be called John. They said to her, there's no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. Immediately, his mouth was opened, and his tongue was loosed, and he began to speak, praising God. The neighbors were all filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. Everyone wondered what this baby would be. What is going to happen to this child? The Lord is with this child. What is going to happen to this baby? There was great promise and great potential in this baby's life. And almost no one knew how much promise and potential this baby had. Almost no one could fathom what this baby was going to do. But his daddy knew. His daddy knew the promise and potential that John had. And he was going to see what John the Baptist 
would do. Look at Luke 1, 67 through 80. We'll finish the ch- reading the chapter. His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham. No, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days and you my child will be called a prophet of the most high for you will go on before the lord to prepare a way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace and the child grew and became strong in spirit and he lived in the desert until he appeared publicly to Israel. Zechariah knew by the Holy Spirit how much potential and promise this baby had. He was going to play a key role in preparing the world for the coming of the Messiah, that Jesus was coming, and the the baby was going to prepare the way. He was going to tell everybody and get everybody ready for the coming Messiah. He was filled with great promise to do great things for God. He was filled with great promise to do great things for God. And you know what? Your life is filled with great promise to do great things for God. Your life has a purpose. Your life has promise. Your life has potential. You have the potential to do great things for God. Not for your own glory and not by your own power, but you have the potential within you to do great things for God by the power of His Holy Spirit. You can do great things for Jesus. Will you do them? Will you do them? You see, it's not just the pastor's job to do great things for Jesus. It's not just the elder's job to do great things for Jesus. It's not just the deacon's job to do great things for Jesus. It is all of our jobs to work for Jesus. It is every Christian's job to work for Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Paul wrote, Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. There is a job that God has for you. There is a purpose that God has for your life. There is potential within you to do great things for Jesus. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 talks about Scripture and the purpose of Scripture. And it says that all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching and rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. There is a work that God has for you to do. There is a work that God has for me to do. He has a job for us. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says, it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast, for we are God's workmanship, His masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Since the beginning of time, God has had a job for you to do. He has a purpose for your life. He has a plan for your life. There is potential and promise within you, and He has something that He wants you to do. There is so much potential in this room to do great things for Jesus. There is so much promise in our church to do great things for Jesus. God has a plan for your life. There's potential in your life. There is promise in your life. And he sees the potential in you and he wants you to fulfill your promise. And he wants you to surrender your life 
fully to him and to his purposes and for the work of his kingdom. You have the promise to be like John the Baptist. You have the potential to lead people to Jesus. Will you do it? There are people you know who don't know Christ. And you can lead them to Jesus. You can do it. The question is, will you? My challenge for you this morning is to commit yourself to leading one person to Jesus in the next 12 months. To lead one person to Jesus in the next 12 months. It could be a neighbor. It could be a coworker. It could be your spouse. It could be your children. It could be your parents. It could be a coworker, another relative. It could be uh, the kid uh, who plays soccer with your kid and their parents. There could be, the, the possibilities are limitless of someone commit yourself to leading one person to Jesus in the next 12 months. And this requires that we be intentional. It requires that we say, you know what? This is the purpose of my life is to bring glory to God by leading people to Jesus. That my life is a vehicle that God can use to bring people to Jesus. That's what I want my life to be. We have so much promise and so much potential within us to do this. Our lives are are doing one of two things. We are either leading people to Jesus or we are pushing people away from Jesus. Which one are you? Are you leading people to Jesus by your life or are you pushing them away? Are people going, if that's what Jesus is like, I don't want any part of it. Or are they saying, I got to have what that guy has. I got to have what that woman has. I got to have what that kid has. I got to find out what makes them different. Is your life leading people to Jesus or is your life pushing people further away? John led people to Jesus and they came in droves because of this one man. You are one man or you are one woman and there is great potential and great promise within you. So how can God use you to lead one person to Jesus in the next 12 months? Five steps. There's five things you got to do. The first thing is you have to identify somebody. You got to know who your target is. Who do you want to lead to Jesus? Who do you want to, who do you know that doesn't know Jesus and you're saying, you know what, I got to lead them to Christ. In the next 12 months, I'm going to dedicate myself and devote myself to leading this person to Jesus. And again, it's by God's grace that this happens. It's not your effort, it's not my effort, but if we're not willing to do anything, how's it going to get done? So by God's grace, you're going to lead somebody to Jesus in the next 12 months. First off, identify that person. Identify who the person is that needs to know Jesus that you know. Secondly, you want to pray for that person. You got to pray for them. You got to pray that God would give you an opportunity to reach that person and that you would seize that opportunity. So you need to pray to see the opportunity and you need to pray to seize the opportunity. Because it's one thing to go, well, that's an opportunity to invite him to church, but I'm not going to do it. You got to say, you know what? Here's an opportunity to invite somebody to church and I'm going to take care. I'm going to take advantage of it. I'm going to seize this opportunity to invite him to church. I'm going to seize this opportunity to bring him to a, to an event. I'm going to seize this opportunity to share my story. So we need to identify that person. We need to pray for that person. And you can start praying today. You can pray in just a minute. We're going to pray and I want you to pray for that person. You need a plan. So first we're going to identify. Second, we're going to pray Third thing we're going to do is we're going to invite them to an event. It could be a fellowship movie night. 
Say, hey, you like to watch movies? I like to watch movies. We're going to watch the latest, greatest kids movie at church. We're going to have free popcorn and stuff. And you can come and join us. We're going to have a great time at our movie night. We want you to come and join us for movie night. Bring your kids. Bring your whole family. Come meet a bunch of great people. And we're going to have a great time at movie night. It could be trunk or treat. You can say, you know what? I want you to, I want you to bring your kids to trunk or treat at my church. It could be a Sunday morning worship service. You know, we have a great time. we got a great band. We rock out. We have a wonderful time at Sunday morning. I want you to come check out my church it could be christmas eve 10 days nine days away is christmas eve i don't mean to scare you okay christmas is in 10 days all right nine days till christmas eve service invite somebody to come invite a family in your neighborhood to come and check out christmas eve service all right tell them we're going to light candles we're going to try not to burn the place down come and invite somebody to come to christmas eve service but be intentional about inviting them we need more community events at our church that we can invite our community to we need to be intentional about that. The fourth step, excuse me, the fourth step is you got to act like a Christian. We got to live out our faith in front of people. Again, I, I think the worst thing that anybody could say to a Christian is, you're a Christian? I never would have guessed. Or you go to church? Really? You? That really surprises me. Live out your faith on a daily basis. Live like a Christian. And you know what? So, you're going to slip up. I'm going to slip up. We're going to mess up. We're going to say something we shouldn't. We're going to do something we shouldn't. We're going to, we're going to mess up. Okay? We're going to lose our temper. We're going to scream at our kids in public. It happens. I know this. Even to awesome man. And someone's going to say, I didn't know that Christians did that. You know what? I messed up. The good news is, is that I'm forgiven. It doesn't excuse my behavior, but it forgives it. God forgives it, and I'm going to try harder, and I'm going to do better. And by the power of the Holy Spirit living within me, I'll do better. Because see, that's what, we, that's what we have. We have forgiveness, we have the Holy Spirit that helps change us and transform us and helps us do better. So we want to identify that person. We want to pray for that person. We want to invite that person. We want to live like a Christian in front of that person, in front of everybody, really. And then the fifth thing that we've got to do is we've got to share our story with that person. You need to share your story, and that requires that you know your story. What difference does Jesus make in your life on a daily basis? Is he making any difference at all? What difference does Jesus make in your life every day? And then be able to share that with somebody. So then somebody goes, why should I become a Christian? Let me tell you why. Because I have hope that this life is not all that there is. That this life filled with pain and struggle and heartache and pain and pain and pain. It's not all that there is. I have hope. That in the midst of my storms of life, I have peace. That I have forgiveness. That I know that I mess up and I know that I sin. And I know that I don't do all the right things and I don't say all the right things. And I know that I'm forgiven. I have joy that nothing can take away. That though life may be hard and difficult, I have lasting joy joy that comes from Jesus. That is the difference that Jesus makes in my life. So share your story with somebody. You're going to identify that person. You're going to pray for that person. You're going to invite that person. You're going to, um, number four, uh, as soon as I look at it, <laughs> we're going to live like a Christian in front of that person, and we're going to share our story with that person. And when we do these things, we have the potential to do great things for Jesus. We're going to put the ball in their court, and we're going to say, you've got to make a decision. You've got to decide, will you follow Jesus? 
And we're going to bring the joy of Christmas into someone's life in the next year. Can you do that? 12 months. You have 12 months to bring one person to Jesus. There is potential within you. There is promise within you. By the power of God, you can do this. And I can do this. And next Christmas, when our church has more people, and we've got more people coming, we baptized a bunch of people, and we've led a bunch of people to Christ, we're going to celebrate next Christmas.